Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. Continuing um, this series on suttas uh, from the Pali Canon that um, that I've found inspiring. <clears throat> I want to explore tonight the Angulimala Sutta, um, which for me is um, a very significant teaching uh, on uh, the possibility of change. And seeing how karma unfolds in very mysterious ways. As the Buddha said, it was, it's one thing that if you try to figure out too much, you'll go crazy. It's one of the four imponderables, um, just the workings of karma. Uh, but um, this story of Angulimala is, is one uh, that's always inspired me about the possibility that we can change and about the possibility of forgiving ourselves and the possibility of forgiving others. And some of you might be familiar with this discourse. I, I, gave, I think I gave a talk on it maybe uh, three or four years ago. Um, uh, I was looking on the, the recorded Dharma. Each week the, the talks here are recorded and they're up on our website and on Dharma Seed. Uh, but I, I couldn't find it, uh, which was, I was happy that it wasn't just from so recently. Uh, but I, I just felt uh, compelled to, uh, to share it again because I think it's such an important discourse for, for us in these times. It seems one of the the most challenging things that that practitioners work with are is um, kindness towards ourselves and um, having um, having guilt, having remorse, having self recrimination for things that we might have done in the past that still haunt us or plague us. As I said here before, that if you if you look back on your life, and there are things that uh, that are so humbling to see, and you are you find yourself cringing, how could I have done that? That actually cringing is a very good sign healthy sign in one one way in that it's it's clearly evidence that you're not the person you were that you've turned into a different person that we've grown in some way and see things differently and so to realize oh i was so confused i was so misguided and to somehow have compassion for that confusion and to see the possibility of um, appreciating who you've become, who you've turned into. Uh, this is the, the task of, of wise practitioners. Uh, you still have to work with the pain of those consequences of actions, but the heart can open deeply uh, in uh, a spirit of compassionate understanding. And this story of Angulimala is the ultimate one that, uh, uh, that can give you a bottom line for... Um, mm, if you have a comparing mind, uh, you'll 
probably come out ahead when you're comparing with Angulimala. So the story, the backstory, which isn't uh, isn't in the sutta, but um, Bhikkhu Bodhi writes some good notes about it, and there's lots of commentaries about Angulimala and different ways that the story is presented. And you can take the story, I'll just start by saying, you can take the story on whatever level works for you. If you, if there's a skeptical eyebrow raised saying, come on, could that have happened? Um, Just take it as a metaphor and take it as a, as a, a teaching in whatever level supports you. But it, I have a sense that there's, uh, whether the facts are exactly the way the story says or some variation that this story represents, uh, I have little doubt that there was a figure um, along the lines of this, of this man who... Um, who woke up from his dream. But the backstory in Angulimala is that when he was born, it was, um, he was born the, the son of a Brahmin um, who was in the, uh, the court of the king in the local province. Uh, and um, it was prophesied when he was born that he would have a very violent nature and be uh, be somebody who would uh, who was going to possibly do a lot of harm. His father was very distraught by by this, and he named his son Ahimsaka. You might be familiar with that word Ahimsa. Ahimsa, which is one of Gandhi's main teachings, the nonviolence that is born out of caring for life. Ahimsa, not just nonviolent, but ahimsa in, in a deeper level is not just causing harm, but coming from a place of deep peace that does good in the world. So the father named the son Ahimsaka, the harmless one, is one translation, hoping that his son would live into the name. And um, the son, in some accounts, really was a fine young man, very sincere. And he, um, when he was old enough, he went to... Uh, learn, study with a, a really um, renowned teacher in this, um, this school uh, in, in India. And um, he did very well. He was a grade A student. And in fact, he was such a good student that, uh, and became like the teacher's pet that the other students became jealous, as sometimes can happen in competitive academic programs. You know, if you're in graduate school for what medicine, I've I've been I've been a support for some people in medical schools, and uh, it's really painful what what they put people through. Uh, and law schools even worse as far as competition and uh, kind of uh, every person for themselves. Anyway, not so different 2,500 years ago. The, the students became very jealous and they wanted to poison the uh, teacher, uh, the teacher's mind against the student, Ahimsaka. So, how to do? Easy. Just start a rumor or uh, slander the person. 
And what they did was they, um, they said that Ahimsaka, um, unbeknownst to the teacher, was having an affair with the teacher's wife. That'll get you, right? I mean, sounds like a kind of a cable TV show, you know? Oh, this has everything going for it, right? <clears throat> and... Um, and so they, um, oh, and was also uh, uh, boasting um, about how smart he was, um, and smarter than than the, the teacher. Um, so um, it did the trick because the teacher became very, um, very disturbed, upset, angry. But according to one. Uh, one account he didn't want to um, he didn't want to seem like he was upset and or that he knew what was going on uh, he didn't want to have a, a bad reputation of um, letting his rage out on the student so he devised uh, another little plan and when Ahimsaka was graduating before the teacher gave him full approval credential, it was a custom in those days that um, that the students would do one final act for the teacher at the teacher's request. And what the teacher requested was that he was to um, bring him the finger off the right hand of 1,000 victims. That would prove his dedication, devotion, and complete the job. Now this might really stretch your imagination, Um, but as the story goes, Ahimsaka who was a very strong, big, uh, imposing figure, um, set out on his task. And I've read other accounts where it's said, in not just in this story, but in those days, if a teacher asked you to do something that seemed outside of your value system, if the teacher was really trustworthy, then your karmic duty was to was to fulfill the teacher's request. It does stretch the mind a bit, but anyway, as he uh, as he started to get into his his task, what happened was his latent tendencies, his karmic latent tendencies for violence. Uh, became um, manifested, and he got into it. And so he became, uh, he terrorized the whole area. And uh, there would be groups of men coming to try to subdue him, and he would vanquish the whole posse of of men, you know, says 20, 30, didn't matter. He got them all. So 20, 30, even 40, but they still fell. So he was getting the count up um, kind of uh, very um, efficiently. And he was the scourge, scourge of the, the area and what happened was that um, when he got close to the thousandth, he was at 999, as the legend goes, the story goes, and he was about to complete his deal, the thousandth. And as this story is depicted, his mother... Um, heard that the king was going to send a whole army out after 
uh, after him. I don't know why he didn't think of that before, but (laughs) this is how it goes. And the mother wanted to warn her son. I guess she still had some love in her heart for him. And she could be seen in the distance from uh, by Ahimsaka, by his son, by her son. And she was going to be, he decided, oh, well, there's my thousandth. But it's said that matricide is one of the deeds that is um, irreversible. The Buddha, through his psychic power, and again, this story is just one to, to take on whatever level relate, you can relate to it, saw what was happening and also saw that this man had the potential and enough good karma that he had the potential to become uh, purified and even enlightened. So he decided to go after uh, Ahimsaka and stop that deed from happening and see about converting the man. The villagers saw the Buddha coming towards Ahimsaka from afar and they said, don't go near there. He's dangerous it's not going to be good. And he said, he just kept on going. Again they said, and again he kept on going. And the third time, he said, I'm coming. And I said, let me see if, they, if I can see it. Blessed one, for the second time, for, for the third time, the cowherds, shepherds, and plowmen told this to the Blessed One, but still, still he went on in silence. Angulimala sees the Buddha and says, oh, okay, he can be my thousandth victim. So he starts going after the Buddha. But the Buddha, through some trick of psychic powers, walks slowly away from Ahimsaka, but, oh, by that time, actually, uh, uh, his name had changed to Angulimala. Okay. Angulimala, you know mala, like mala beads, a necklace, and Anguli means finger. So Angulimala, he became known as the finger-garlanded one because there he was wearing a necklace with each of the fingers of his victims. So he had 999, must have been quite a sight, around his neck. And uh, that was going to, so he was going for the thousands. So Angulimala sees the Buddha, starts um, running after him, and by the psychic powers of the Buddha, the Buddha is walking slowly, but Angulimala, no matter how fast he's running, can't catch up. This is very frustrating for him. And finally, he yells after the Buddha, and he says, Stop! Stop! And the Buddha with his very powerful presence, turns to to Angulimala and says, I have stopped Angulimala. You stop too. And Angulimala thought, these recluses, uh, these, sorry, these recluses, son of the Sakyas, speak truth, assert truth. But though this recluse is still walking, he says, I've stopped Angulimala, you stop too. Suppose I question this recluse. And then he answers 
he asks the Buddha, while you're walking, recluse, you tell me you've stopped, but now when I've stopped, you say I've not stopped. I ask you now about the meaning. How is it that you've stopped and I've not? And the Buddha says, Angulimala, I have stopped forever. I abstain from violence towards living beings, but you have no restraint towards things that live. That is why I've stopped and you have not. And the power of the Buddha's presence somehow wakes him up from his spell. And he becomes deeply moved by the purity of the Buddha and bows at the Buddha's feet. Now you might say, how could that be after 999 times He's committed murder. But just in your own life, have you ever woken up from a spell of confusion? Have you ever been in the middle of very unskillful acts and all of a sudden you see the light? Probably not to the extent that he does. But this is something that always amazes me, the capacity of the human heart to wake up, like I was talking before about cringing. What was I thinking? When I look back on my life, when I was in my teens and 20s, I was so confused. And I can't believe what I did then. And it's like amazing grace. You know the story of amazing grace. I once was lost and now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. That even a slave trader can wake up and say, oh my goodness, the error of my ways. Anyway, he sees, he sees the error of his ways and he says, please, give me your teaching. Let me follow you. I want to become a bhikkhu. I want to be uh, a disciple of yours. And the Buddha says, come bhikkhu. And just by saying, come bhikkhu, he's officially ordained. When the Buddha says, come bhikkhu, you made it. So he then goes, he shaves his head, becomes a monk, tries to practice, and has a, a tough time of it, but he's practicing diligently. And shortly after this, Uh, the king uh, sets out to go after Angulimala. He didn't know what had happened. And there he was with his men wanting to track down Angulimala. And King Pasanadi uh, stops off and goes to the Buddha's Buddha's, um, uh, Anattapindika Park, where his, his center is. And he wants to check in with the Buddha first. And he says, listen, I'm going, I'm finally going to get Angulimala. Uh, Do you have any advice? And the Buddha says, let me ask you, if you knew that Angulimala had changed his ways and had become a monk and was no longer hurting people and was harmless, what would you do? And the king says, hmm, venerable sir, we would pay homage to him or rise up for him and invite him to be seated. We'd invite him to accept robes, alms food, a resting place, medicinal requisites. So he's saying, 
that would be so great because this guy who was the scourge, well, if he could become harmless, that would solve everything. So the Buddha says, the Blessed One extended his right arm. The Venerable Angulimala was sitting not far from him. And then he said to the king, Pasanadi, great king, this is Angulimala. And then the king got very afraid. He said, oh my God, he's right here. He said, don't be afraid, king. Don't be afraid. There's nothing for you to fear from him. And then the king asks him, um, of what family is your, is your father? Who is your mother? And he says who his father is and who his mother is. And he sees that he's an alms an alms food eater and, uh, and a, a monk. And he says, enough. Okay, I will give you your, your robes and I will, uh, I will keep you as, uh, in, in honor as a monk. Great. So that's the first part of the story. The next part of the story is that Angulimala has a very difficult time practicing Because, as perhaps you've seen for yourself when you practice on retreat, as I experienced when I started doing some retreats, all of my past mind moments of unskillfulness came up on my retreat. Well, can you imagine if you were this guy and he was having a really hard time quieting his mind? What was I doing? What was I thinking? Until one day, as he's going on his alms round, he sees a woman who is in childbirth. And she is having a very difficult childbirth. There was a problem with the birth, and the baby and the the mother Um, in that process were uh, in trouble. So he goes to the Buddha, quickly goes to the Buddha, and he says, hey, listen, there's a woman who's having uh, a real problem here in childbirth. Um, Could you send somebody to help her? Could you send somebody to maybe either calm her down or create some kind of safe container or do some kind of healing incantation that can that can help this woman. And the Buddha says, you go. And Angulimala says, me? I I can't go, what can I do? And then he says, go to that woman and say, Say to that woman, Sister, since I was born, I do not recall that I have ever intentionally deprived a living being of life. By this truth, may you be well, and may your infant be well. This confuses the monk tremendously. And he says, Venerable Sir. (laughs) Hello, it's me. Wouldn't I be telling a deliberate lie? For I've intentionally deprived many living beings of life. And the Buddha says, Then Angulimala, go into Savati and say to that woman, Sister, since I was born with the noble birth, that is, since I have taken on the holy life, I do not recall that I have ever intentionally deprived a living being of life. By this truth, may you be well, and may your infant be well. Yes, Venerable Sir, the Venerable Angulimala replied, 
And having gone into Savati, he told that woman just that. And then the woman and the infant became well. Now, two things. First of all, what Angulimala said to that woman is, has been a traditional uh, chant and prayer. If you go in Thailand and Burma uh, and Sri Lanka, Theravadan countries, a woman in childbirth repeats this chant because it's become a very uh, well-known protection by the fact that I've not caused harm to any living being. May this birth, this baby, uh, be healthy and this birth go well. Second thing is, after seeing the effect of his words, he had to change his self-image because he, he thought, I can't be of any use to anyone before that. I have done harm. I've done so, so much evil, so much cruelty that there is an impurity in me. But when he was able to, by the purity of his heart, since he became a monk and lived the holy life, he was able to heal this woman and this baby in their difficult birth. He saw that somehow he, was, he had enough purity to do that. And it brought great peace and calmed his heart. And then, as the story goes, as many stories go, he was able to meditate and deepen his practice and become enlightened. Not just enlightened, but fully enlightened. He became an arhat which is grade A, fully enlightened being. However, some people still remembered what he did, especially the families of the victims who were, uh, were killed. And when he'd go on alms round, some people would throw stones at him and clods of earth at him and sticks at him. And he said, what should I do to the Buddha? These people hate me. What should I do? With blood running from his cut head and his bowl broken and his outer robe torn, he would ask the Blessed One, what should I do? And then the Buddha says, in words that I've used very often for myself, bear it, Brahman, bear it, bear it nobly, Brahman. You are experiencing here and now the result of deeds because of which you might have been tortured in hell for many years, for many hundreds of years, for many thousands of years. So he's saying, Bear it right now. This is just your karma coming back to you. And if you bear it now without any hatred in your heart or any uh, guilt or any fear, but just seeing, yes, actions have consequences and your heart remains centered and at peace, then your karma is being burned off. Better now than later. Which is what he did. So that's the, the end of the, of the discourse. He has a, some beautiful, maybe I'll read some of the, the very end of it. He reads this whole passage um, where he declares it when he becomes fully enlightened as he as he becomes fully enlightened, when he bears the, uh, the, 
sticks and stones coming his way, after that is when he becomes enlightened. And then he says, who once did live in negligence and then is negligent no more, he illuminates the world like the moon freed from a cloud. Who checks the evil deeds he did by doing wholesome deeds instead, he illuminates the world like the moon freed from a cloud. The youthful bhikkhu who devotes his efforts to the Buddha's teaching, he illuminates the word world like the moon freed from a cloud. Let my enemies hear discourse on the Dhamma. Let them be devoted to the Buddha's teaching. Let my enemies wait on those good people who lead others to accept the Dhamma. Let my enemies give ear from time to time and hear the Dhamma of those who preach forbearance, of those who speak as well in praise of kindness, and let them follow up that Dhamma with kind deeds. For surely then they would not wish to harm me, nor would they think of harming other beings. So those who would protect all, frail or strong, let them attain the all-surpassing peace, etc., etc. So, what do you make of that? How does that impact you? Thinking of your life, thinking of the deeds that you've done that still might plague you, guilt, sadness, self-judgment. How can you see what he saw since seeing the error of my ways? I'm not intentionally causing suffering to others. Can there be forgiveness? Can there be a feeling of amazing grace that somehow you've turned in the right direction? Now, of course, as we we all know, until you're a saint, you're going to blow it. You're going to keep on blowing it probably. But the key that I get from this is if you have a commitment to not intentionally harm, if you have a commitment to feel the protection of the precepts, you have a commitment to act with as much mm, goodwill as possible, even when you blow it, even when you blow it, it's just that you've fallen off You've fallen off the, your, the track and you can always come back. But if you don't see that, you've, that you're doing anything wrong, you are doomed to keep on creating more dukkha. And in fact, on a karmic level, something that I find very interesting, it's, it's better to see that you're blowing it than not see that you're blowing it. Because if you don't realize that you're blowing it, you're going to probably repeat it and think, oh, well, that's the way people act. But if you see it and you realize, oh my God, what am I doing here? To feel the, the pain of of acting out of alignment with what your, uh, what your values are, every time you feel that pain, see, oh no, that's not what I want to do. That's not what my commitment to my life is about. Then you keep on learning. Then there's no mistakes. As long as you're keeping on learning, there's no mistakes. It's when you say, okay, well, that's just who I am. Uh, then, then, then you're in trouble. So I want to just uh, invite you before we, we'll just open up to some time for discussion, just go inside and see if there's anything tugging at your heart, 
anything that there is remorse, there is a wish you could have a do-over, And see if it's possible to bring the compassion of the Buddha, what the Buddha saw when he said to Angulimala, go and help that woman by the purity of your heart. And Angulimala says, no, that's, I'm not the right one. And he says, yes, you are. Yes, you are. You just forgot who you are. See if you can have that kind of perspective where you realize, I just forgot who I really am or who I really want to be. And if there can be a, a sense of kindness and forgiveness, And realizing that forgiving yourself is the most important step to be able to forgive others. Because then your heart opens up and see, oh, it's just confusion. It's just ignorance that gets in the way. And see if you can forgive yourself right now. And appreciate the the heart inside that really enjoys feeling and expressing the the goodness and kindness that that wants to come out. That's a blessing that there's a part of you that prefers that route. Uh, amazing grace. Okay, so anything that you want to bring up from that? Comments, reflections? Yeah. I just had a a quick reflection. Um, My favorite part of the story, I think, is is when the Buddha says, I've stopped, Mm -hmm. Uh, you should too. Mm-hmm. And that reminds me of um, I used to volunteer for this. Or, I used to volunteer for this organization called Alternatives to Violence Project. They go into prisons, mm. and there's a, a part of the workshop called Transforming Power, which is where um, people get to share stories where they've said a statement that's really transformed a situation. And uh, one of the people in the prison who was in that workshop shared that he was on the yard and some person mistook him for someone else and really got in his face and was about to start a fight. And um, this man who, who was being accosted uh, practices meditation. And so his, he has a mantra that he, he says, which is breath. And so as the guy is totally in his face shouting at him, he says, breath. And the other person goes, What? My breath smells. It completely disarms the whole situation. <laughs> so, and it just re- resolves very peacefully after that. Mm-hmm. So it just reminds me of that story, that transforming power. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to be the Buddha to transform a situation. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
Cool. Thank you. What else? Inside of all of us. Real close. Uh, when you were telling the story, what I just couldn't move away from was the teacher who told him to kill yeah. a thousand people. Actually, does he really have to kill him or just take the finger off of him? <laughs> but doesn't doesn't that person have like a heck of a lot of car- bad karma scenes? Yeah. He's especially if, if Angulimala was bringing the fingers to him as he was accumulating them. No, he wasn't. He was wearing them all. Uh, he, he was going to give them, when, when so, he got a thousand, <laughs> even thousand, yeah. Okay. But the teacher, knowing that he had sent him out and he's doing these deeds, he has the blood on his hands too. Yeah, he? oh, definitely. Yeah. And you can just see cause and effect, you know, just uh, the, the, the jealousy of the, of the students who said, you know, who through their own smallness wanted to poison the teacher's mind, you know, because of their own insecurity and jealousy. So that seed, having that effect with the story, and then that being transferred onto the student, Ahimsaka, and their, his latent tendencies towards violence getting getting a chance to to fully bloom just karma so uh so complex and this other aspect that was also latent in in him that could awaken Yeah, how about the wife? She might not have not she might not have known anything about the whole deal. Yeah. So Would have I, been I hope I wonder what their relationship was like after that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I those both of those things were the things that were just there for me mm-hmm. as well as this prophesying business on a child. What's up with that? <laughs> and why didn't why isn't that part of? Why didn't they include that in the story? Or is this just so much a cultural thing? Uh, in other places, it's uh, it, it, it's in the Majima. They cut out the the backstory, but in other places, it's uh, it, the the story is is fleshed out. So, uh, so what was the what was the question? Was it? Prophesying on oh, babies yeah, prophecies. that they're going to, yeah. you know, become murderers. Yeah. Well, prophecies. I mean, that was the story of the Buddha. Also, it was prophesied when he was born, he'd either be a world-turning monarch or a great spiritual leader. And his father, you know, followed the prophecy and uh, you know tried to set up his son's life a certain way. There's. There's a lot of stuff like that since the beginning of time, just kind of, and I have no idea how that figures into things, you know, whether it's, you know, astrology or, you know, the, even these days, it's it's big in, in Buddhist countries, um, astrology and prophecies and things like that. Personally, for me, um, the mind can create anything. So if you hear something and you take it to be real, you'll make it real. And if you just see this is just mind fabrication, who knows what's going to happen? Uh, there's much more freedom to just see how it unfolds. But this is part of the culture. That's how they did things. Any one last comment. No, no. Oh, yeah, you're doing the nonviolence uh, project. Right. Um, well, this was really an interesting experience just now because I noticed how 
there was something that I had done or not done to the fullness of my ability. And I hadn't even noticed that I was like putting this damper on everything Mm. because of that, because feeling like I wasn't fully there. Mm. And when you said, I don't know what you said, but it was, it was, it, it reminded me that, you know, when you, when you're trying to forgive yourself or reconcile with and understand what you did, Mm. it's really not about, well, part of it's about, you know, saying, yeah, I understand why that happened. But there's also this nice possibility of just remembering who you are or remembering to get in touch with that light part. And it's, it makes it very effortless. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, once you stop beating yourself up, then you can just, you know, reconnect, which is really nice. Yeah. So... That's really appreciate it. that. Good. I'm, I'm glad you connected with that. It's a lot of it is just remembering your goodness, remembering who you really are, and not getting into the old story that you can carry around for your whole life. Oh, I'm a different person than that. So, so let's close with a little bit of loving kindness and remember who you really are. Somebody who wants to come here on a Thursday night and wants to cultivate the best inside. Amazing grace. And wish yourself well. May I feel all the goodness inside and share my love with the world skillfully. May I forgive all of my confusion. And have it turned into compassion. And may others see through their confusion, fears, and connect with their own goodness, their own Buddha or Kuan Yin inside, their own loving awareness and let it shine and may our time here together be a benefit to all beings everywhere. Thank you. Be kind to yourself. Be kind to everybody else. See you next week. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.